Good morning, everyone. I'm Nayaswami Gandev, and this is Nayaswami Diksha, and it's our pleasure to welcome everyone here to Sunday service. Thank you for braving the snow, heading here, and thank you to our valiant road-clearing crew who made it possible for you to brave the snow and getting here. Welcome to everyone online as well. We did have a good bit of snow <clears throat> last night, and I think it was just, uh, now that I see, I understand, I see a number of Canadians in the audience, and God was just wanting them to feel at home. Oh, welcome. <laughs> I'd like to share a reading from Raise the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, commentaries on parallel passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's topic, by thinking, can we arrive at understanding? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There are many places in the Gospels where we see Jesus in open conflict with the Pharisees, that is to say, with man-made as opposed to true mystical tradition. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 15, we see a good example of how they and he locked horns. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came and asked Jesus, Why do your disciples break our ancient tradition and eat their food without washing their hands properly first? Jesus, after scolding them for their hypocrisy and observing lesser rules so carefully while ignoring the much more important ones, said, Listen and understand this thoroughly. It is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him common or unclean. It is what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It wasn't that Jesus counseled against such wholesome practices as washing one's hands before eating. In an age, however, when lesser rules were given too much importance relative to the truly important observances, cleansing the heart of impure desires, for example, he emphasized the supreme importance of loving God and of communing with him. The Pharisees, the orthodox religionists of his day, in other words, had brought true religion down to a level of intellectual hair-splitting. They mistakenly considered the way to understanding to lie through a minefield of definitions, which they tried to refine to ultimate exactitude. Jesus taught, however, that the intellect alone can never lead one to truth. Without love, indeed, there is no ultimate verity. Without fixity of purpose, born of the heart's devotion, the intellect wand wanders endlessly. It cannot settle for long on anything. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the intellects of those who lack fixity of spiritual purpose are inconstant, their interests endlessly ramified. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. I also like to welcome you to Sunday service. 
And I will begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. This is a book of prayer, poems and prayers, demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. This is a prayer of devotion. I bring to thee the myrrh of devotion. With folded hands, bowed head, and heart laden with the myrrh of reverence, I come to thee. Thou art my parents. I am thy child. Thou art the master. I am ready to obey the silent command of thy voice. I conjured the fragrant devotion of all hearts and mixed it with my tears. Now I'm eager to wash thy feet in silence. A river of my ardent crystal tears of craving rushes forth to meet thee. Wilt thou see that my boisterous flood of devotion be not lost in the desert of disappointment? Wilt thou see that my mad flood of devotion follow always the right course which leads to thee? So, as we heard, our topic is by thinking, can we arrive at understanding? And this is an important topic in this day and age. A few years ago, Gyandev shared with me a short video on YouTube. This video was taken in New York, in downtown Manhattan, where a large blackboard was placed on a sidewalk and on top of the board with white charcoal one question was written. The question was what is your biggest regret in life? And as people passed and they saw the question they picked up their charcoal and they wrote the answer. Different people wrote the answers. College students, businessmen, housewives, homeless people, and so forth. And the most common answer was, my biggest regret is that I didn't follow my heart, and I did not fulfill my dream. Now, God has given us two organs of knowing, the heart, but also the mind. The question is, how do we use them? If we only allow energy to flow outward through the senses, we become restless, we become confused. But if we take the time to withdraw from the senses, to calm the heart, the mind, to offer the energy up, to connect with higher consciousness, then we get perspective, we get clarity, and we don't make so, much so many mistakes. The masters are always in tune with God. 
with the divine intelligence. They don't get confused. They always see the big, infinite picture. But we, with our human intelligence, able to see only a small portion of that picture. And so by thinking with the rational mind, we will not be able to perceive truth, to see the big picture, to begin to connect, to feel, to perceive truth. We begin by getting centered, calming down, offering the heart's energy to the spiritual eye, the superconscious mind, to feel what is right. And so the mind needs to be infused with that feeling of superconsciousness so we can think clearly and be in tune with God. I remember when I was in high school, after the first year, every student had to choose between one or two tracks for the next three years. One track was science and math, and the second was literature and philosophy. And I chose a track of math and science. And the first year I did fine, but then math became very complicated, and I needed help. So I searched and I looked for a teacher, a private teacher, and I found one in my neighborhood. He was a young man in his late 20s, who offered private classes for high school students to prepare them for the final exams. And we met once a week for about a year. And together we solved math problems. He was a gift, very gifted teacher. He had the ability to tune into his students' mind and to see where they are confused and to help them get clarity. He also taught me how to relax, how to tune into the essence of every question and to find the answer. And so when I showed up for the final exam in math, I was calm, I was centered, and I was able to solve every single question correctly. And I was very glad, very thankful for this teacher, because he opened the world of math for me, a world that began to make sense, had order, and had beauty in it, and I started to enjoy solving math problems. And years later, I came here to Ananda, and when I read Swami's autobiography, The New Path, it opens the world of spirituality. It helped me to understand the concept of the Guru. Help me to understand what the spiritual path is all about. Swami was a deep thinker, but his thinking was guided by his heart, by superconsciousness, but the feeling was of what is right. That's why Swami's books are so helpful. And we listen, when we listen to Swami's music, it uplifts our consciousness. 
And Swami said about his music, he described it as music that conveys clarity of heart. He talked about how clarity of mind is not enough, that we need also clarity of feeling, that true understanding begins with calm feelings directed to the spiritual eye beyond the intellect. And so if the mind is not guided by that feeling of superconsciousness, it can lead our thoughts, our actions, against our true nature. But when the mind is infused with that feeling of superconsciousness, then we are guided by truth. But we know it's not easy. It takes constant practice to refine our attunement and the feeling of superconsciousness. Yogananda dedicated his autobiography to Luther Burbank, an American saint. Yogananda met Luther Burbank when he was in his early 70s, when he was already well known for plant breeding. And in the autobiography, there's one chapter that is dedicated to Luther Burbank. But I wanted to learn more about who Burbank was and why Yogananda called him an American saint. So I read about his life and I found it so fascinating, so inspiring. So I wanted to share some highlights from his life. Burbank was born in 1849 in Massachusetts. This was before Dwapara Yuga proper, before the age of energy truly began, which was in 1900. Brubeck was a very calm, serene, patient man, and he had intense love for flowers and plants. He dedicated his life to study how nature does things, and he taught himself how to breed plants. He was an interesting combination of a scientist, of an artist, of a businessman, and a mystical thinker. In a period of 52 years, from the age of 25 to the age of 77, Burbank developed more than 800 new varieties of fruits, vegetables, flowers, nuts, and grains. His method was to combine scientific methods with deep conviction that the earth and everything that lives are a part of a harmonious system and every part relates to the whole. And his success as a plant breeder came because he didn't follow the rules and the cautions of how to breed plants. He stretched boundaries. He took risks. And he did 
everything he could. He had the patience to explore new ways of breeding plants. And so by the age of 53, he was considered the most fearless and successful plant breeder in the whole world. And so scientists and many people from all over the world wanted to learn from Burbank how to breed plants. And so they start coming to his home in Santa Rosa. And as Burbank showed people his gardens, he shared his philosophy. He talked about how plants respond to thought vibrations. And that plants respond differently to different people. He also had the habit of talking to his plants and using hand gestures to convey the vibrations of love. Now, this was very strange at that time. The science students couldn't relate to it. And they were very frustrated because they didn't know how to apply the information that Burbank gave them. Burbank also didn't explain his methods in scientific terminology. He spoke from his heart. And because of it, scientists dismissed his methods. Well, Burbank's ways could not be replicated because it wasn't only scientific methods, but deep inner attunement with nature. He felt the flowers. He communed with them. And he felt that the flowers would be willing, and the plants would be willing to change by love. And despite the genetic traits, they will change with the nurturing care of whoever grows them, with a touch, with music, with loving thoughts. And so, towards the end of his life, he was considered a master communicator with the mysteries of nature. Burbank created all these new plants to benefit humanity. He wanted to feed the world with affordable plants and vegetables. He wanted to shed the world with trees and fill the world with beautiful, colorful flowers. And towards the end of his life, Bourbon began to speak about how to raise and how to train children. And he called them the human plants. By observing the incredible progress in plant evolution, he saw that the same principles can be applied to raising and training children. He said that children should not be constantly bombarded by old sentiments, by religious dogmas, but they should be given the freedom to explore nature. So I wanted to read one paragraph from the little book that Burbank wrote called The Training of the Human Plant. Give children nature. Let their souls drink in all that is pure and sweet 
free of them if possible amid pleasant surroundings. If they come into the world with souls groping in darkness, let them see and feel the light. Let nature teach them the lessons of good and proper living combined with abundance of well-balanced nourishment. Those, chil those children will grow to be the best men and women. Put the best in them with the best outside. They will absorb it as a plant absorb the sunshine and the dew. Yogananda, in one of his first meetings with Burbank, he initiated him into Kriya Yoga. And Burbank practiced it devoutly. Burbank passed away in 1926 at the age of 77. And he was indeed an American saint. In the past few years, Gyandev and I have been teaching meditation teacher training online. And actually, right now, we are in the middle of one. And we have people from all over the world participating. And one of the assignments that we give to students is to write a journal, to reflect on how meditation is affecting their daily life. And as I was reading a journal of one of the women, I was struck of how attuned she was with the teachings of Yogananda. So I wrote her, and I asked her if she felt connection with Yogananda. And she said, oh yes, I read his books, and I have his photo on my altar. So I said, well, do you think that he's your guide, your guru? I said, oh, I would love to be his disciple, I would feel honored, but I don't think I deserve it. I don't think I'm worthy to be his disciple. So I suggested that she would, at the end of meditation, she would look at his photo and ask him, are you my guru? But she couldn't do it. But after two weeks she could. And she wrote me and she said, I mustered the courage, and at the end of meditation, I looked at this photo, and I asked, are you my guru? And the answer came immediately. She felt those waves of love flooding her heart. And with it, she heard his voice saying to her, I have been here all the time, just waiting. So touching. That's the love of Yogananda, never imposing himself, just waiting as long as it takes for the disciple to be ready. This woman became a disciple. She's now a Kriyaban. And she started now a meditation group. And she has already 15 people attending it. The mind can deceive us. Subconscious habits 
of fear and of doubt can obstruct our ability to experience a greater reality. And it does take courage to break through negative mental habits and experience that expansion in the heart and the expansion of consciousness. Last year I came across a, a prayer of Yogananda from his book, How to Love and Be Loved. This is from the Wisdom series, beautiful series that Nayaswami Anandi edited. And the prayer is, Purify me with the reverence of a servant to his master. I find it to be a very powerful prayer. The reverence of a servant to his master is complete self-giving. The reverence of a disciple to the Guru is complete self-offering without reservation, without holding anything back. This kind of reverence to the Guru is what will free us from the confusion and the entanglements of the mind. Devotion is a powerful tool that helps to purify us, to connect with God, to feel, to receive His guidance. And so, by daily meditation, by making the effort to calm the heart, the mind, to offer the feeling of the heart to the spiritual eye, to the spiritual eye, to the superconscious mind, we will find that gradually higher consciousness will be filtered back to us. And we will be able to have more clarity, to live according to truth, and with deep attunement with God. Door of my heart, open wide I keep for thee. Door of my heart, open wide I keep for thee. Wilt thou come, wilt thou come, just for once come to me. Just for once come to me Will my days fly away Without seeing thee, my Lord Will my days fly away Without seeing thee, my Lord Night and day, night and day Night and day, night and day, I look for thee night and day. Please join us. Door of my heart, open wide.
Thank you.